Welcome, welcome back. It's been so long. It has. This is Stem Fatale, your women in science history podcast. And we're back and we still exist. <laughs> we just needed a uh, a little summer respite. Yeah. As I'm sure everybody understands. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been quite a year, I think, for everyone. Yes. And I hope you all understand that sometimes people just need breaks, you know? <laughs> I started a whole farm and I could not uh I could not do both. Right. At the same yeah. time. Yeah. Well, and you also have a job. Like yes. yeah, you started a farm in addition to your whole job. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of juggling and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> So something had to get dropped temporarily. You know, every now and then you just got to take something off your plate. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. permanent. You can always put it back on your plate, you know, but. uh, Yep. And we've got a whole meal (laughs) of stem fatale for this week. That's right. That's right. I guess we should reintroduce ourselves to those who are new to this yeah or have forgotten who we are in the past three months uh i'm one of your co-hosts dr emlyn gremlin and uh i'm your other co-host dr emma dilemma and here we are and emlyn (laughs) i have been in quite a dilemma (laughs) Ooh. well you know about it (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. <sighs> or causing dilemmas. Since uh, yes. since we all left, you know, I... Well, I can't actually talk about it that much. I can. <laughs> I actually can, legally. Some people can't, but I can. Um, but anyway. <laughs> unlike Emlyn... For people who... This is the most cryptic thing. I'll just say that unlike <laughs> Emlyn, I have no job... <laughs> And she's just, she's too revolutionary for people to handle. Yeah, exactly. Maybe in a couple weeks I can explain more. So that'll just keep mm-hmm. everybody on their toes. <laughs> yeah, keep them coming back for more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, there's lots going on this summer. Yeah, exactly. But we are happy to be back. It is fall. I have a bunch of those pumpkin, um, what are they? The Spice things lattes? that are pretty much just like sugar wax. What? No, the pumpkin candies. The oh, pumpkin shaped. Like candy corn. Yes. I've got nice. I've got the pumpkin candy corn from last year that oh. I'm uh, whipping out. They don't go stale. That's they true. We're born stale. They are wax um, with sugar embedded yeah, in it. They can't yeah. they can't they're do so anything. Good, they're gross, know, but they're good. I'm like, why am I eating this? But then I keep eating them, you know? Mm-hmm. But I they're love just, I mean, they're just pure sugar. 
But they also have that, like, an excellent texture. Yeah, like a nice bite to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, like, very satisfying mm-hmm. to eat. Yeah. And, of course, because it's me, I, like, nibble on them like right. a rabbit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's fall, and we are back to tell you some about some more wonderful um, historical ladies yeah. that contributed to science. Yep. And we're going to start off with a very... A, how do I say this? This lady had a lot of hats. Oh, literal? She had a or... lot. Of, I, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> she had a lot of metaphorical hats okay. in that she contributed to a lot of different scientific fields. Oh, I always liked that. Um, which we love to see. We love a, a mid-career change. Yeah, exactly. Not everybody's life follows one trajectory, no. you know? We need to see these other stories. Yes. I mean, it's kind of wild. Okay, so, cool. um, to do, so let's just jump in. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about Bessie. I don't have a, I don't have a question because oh, okay. I suck. <laughs> Look, we're, we forget how to do this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to do this podcast. I'm working. I'm doing the best I can. Oh, you got it. You got um, it. Thank you. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about Bessie Blount Griffin, oh. who was an inventor, physical oh. therapist, Ooh. and forensic scientist. Whoa, that is a lot of hats. Metaphor. A lot of hats. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm Are you excited. ready to learn about this? Yeah, this I don't lady? know this person, so I'm very excited. Yay. Okay. So, Bessie Blount Griffin was born on November 24th, 1914, in a rural area outside of Chesapeake, Virginia, to George Woodard and Mary Elizabeth Blount. So, Bessie attended Diggs Chapel Elementary School near Norfolk, Virginia, for her education. And this school was built after the Civil War um, by the Black community in order to educate children of former slaves. Oh, my gosh. It it seems like it was a a big community effort rather than maybe even like state funded or anything like that. Interesting. And according to Bessie, in an interview with the Virginian, she said her school didn't have textbooks, but they later got them from the white schools. So eventually they got (laughs) textbooks, but for a while they didn't have any textbooks. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, Yeah. And at the school, she used, so she was left-handed. So she used her left hand to write. And for a long time, I don't, we thought that was very bad for whatever reason and so she got disciplined by having like a wrapping on the knuckles yeah that happened to my grandmother i think and she she would always explain her kookiness by having to learn how to write with her right hand and do things with her Mm -hmm. right hand which sometimes i i could sort of see like i don't know if bessie is also kooky but (laughs) i bessie's a little kooky Um, so horrible because she was like, yeah, I get why people were so against left handedness. So weird. You got everybody has to be exactly the same. Right. (laughs) But yeah, so she got wrapped on her knuckles for writing with her left hand. And so she began writing with her right hand, obviously, to so she didn't get any more um, like discipline. And so she became ambidextrous because of this but in addition to using both of her hands to write she also taught herself to write with her teeth and her feet (laughs) 
remarking that, quote, if it was wrong to write with my left hand, then it was wrong to write with my right hand. What? <laughs> okay, so the kookiness is there. No, just kidding. Yep, so she's just that you know, is... child writing with her feet. Yeah, that's kind of cool. She also seems... It uh, it was pretty clear from this that she's like also kind of obstinate. Yeah, so she was like, "Well, I like it. You're mad that I'm writing with like one hand, then like the other hand is equally as bad. So I'm just gonna write with my teeth. I love it. That's the <laughs> kind of logic that. I love. <laughs> I know. Um, so after sixth grade, they didn't have any more academic resources for the children in her town. So like the school kind of went to sixth grade, and then they're like. That, that's all we've got. Um, and so her education was halted abruptly at this time. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Around this time, also, her family relocated to New Jersey. And oh. there, Bessie continued. Uh, she taught herself and eventually obtained her GED. Wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah. She then uh, went to nursing school. And she obtained a nursing degree at the Kennedy Memorial Hospital Nursing Program in Newark, New Jersey. Okay, wow. Yeah, so like from not having a formal education, she kind of made it happen. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that she could find those opportunities or create them when they weren't available Mm -hmm. to her. Yeah. So interestingly, this hospital was founded by Booker T. Washington's physician, John A. Kenny Sr., um, because he had moved to the area. And at that time, he learned that hospitals wouldn't hire black doctors. So he kind of created a hospital of his own that would um, both hire black physicians and nurses, but also, I would imagine, support the black community and as their patients. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I mean, even though it was the North after the Civil War, people mm-hmm. were still racist. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sh- yep. like, we've talked about this before. And yeah, people were racist and probably <laughs> didn't treat black the black community as well as the white community if they weren't black doctors. Mm-hmm. So that's where she went, cool. which is awesome. Yeah, that there was a place that would let her get a, yeah. a nursing degree. So with this nursing degree in hand, she studied physical therapy at Union Junior College and Panzer College of Physical Education. And then eventually she became a licensed licensed physiotherapist and took a job at the Bronx Hospital. Wow, nice. So around this time that she had gotten her nursing degree and she was starting to work at the Bronx Hospital, this was after World War II. Okay. And so many soldiers who were wounded in, ba- oh, yeah. in battle were returning to the U.S. as amputees. Oof. And so at the Bronx Hospital, um, Bessie taught veterans who had lost their arms new ways to perform everyday oh. tasks by using their feet and teeth. Because she's so good at that. Yes. That's so, wow. It all came full circle. (laughs) I know. I love when that happens. That's really cool. Wow. And her, her like good abilities to perform tasks with her mouth and feet helped her relate to her patients and also helped kind of show them what they could do with enough practice. Right. Wow. That's really incredible. Mm -hmm. I love that she was just primed to do that 
You know, like, yeah. she was the perfect person to be working mm-hmm. with those folks. Yeah. Yep. That's really neat. Um, so one of the most common challenges that Bessie observed for these veterans that were had um, amputations was that they had to relearn how to feed themselves unassisted. And she really wanted to emphasize helping them regain the skill of being able to feed themselves because she believed that it would help them with one, a degree of independence that would be extremely important to build back their self-esteem. Yeah, totally. So in addition to helping her patients use these other body parts in place of their hands, like working with their, their feet uh, and their teeth, uh, Bessie also invented an electric self-feeding apparatus Whoa. for amputees while working in the Bronx Hospital. What? That's so she made... I'm trying to yeah, imagine it, the, but yeah, okay. I, I'm going to... Okay, let, let me paint you a picture. Well, yeah. I'll give you a little bit of details of how she did it, and yeah. I'll give you a description of what it cool. is. So she made this original device called the Invalid Feeder in her kitchen where she used boiling water to melt plastic into a specific mold. And she usually worked on this from like 1 a.m. to 4 a.m., like after her shifts. Wow. Okay. This device, which included a description um, kind of of how she wanted to improve it going forward, was patented in 1948. Wow. And she'd go on to spend another four years and $3,000 to improve the machine and make it into this like stainless steel working model that was a little more compact. Oh my God. But this original in quote unquote invalid feeder Uh was a device that transported individual bites of food through a tube to the patient's mouth. Whoa. And then patients simply had to bite down on this tube and the food would dispense into the mouthpiece. Was it and liquid so, food or was it like a no? Big I think chunk it was solid food. food. Okay. I think it was like a chunk of food. Whoa! Um, and this next portion of food would be dispensed promptly when the patient bit down. So it wouldn't keep. It would only feed you like a bite when you bit down, and it knew that like you needed another bite. Whoa! Yeah. Gotta so see the next portion thing. of I yeah I couldn't find yeah. I, actually I'll try to I'll try to link it and find the patent. Yeah. Because it's, like, kind of complicated. Yeah. I'm, like, is it, like, a whole salad? Is it, like, things, like, cut up? Or <laughs> I'm just curious how it all, how that mm-hmm. works. Yeah. That's really interesting. So she demonstrated this machine at a New Jersey hospital and received a standing ovation for her work. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It was also called a most ingenious apparatus by the director emeritus of the American College of Surgeons, Dr. Malcolm McEachern. Okay. So great apparatus. Yeah. Standing ovation. Um, Unfortunately, medical supply companies in the U.S. would not sell this machine, arguing that it was too large and bulky for hospitals to house. Oh, okay. And the Amer- American Veterans Administration, so the VA, yeah. declined to use her invention as well. Uh, Dr. Paul B. Magnuson, the chief medical director of the VA at that time, told her that the device was, quote unquote, impractical, and that hand feeding by nursing and attending personnel is the most satisfactory method of feeding. <laughs> okay. So she's like, I think you missed 
the whole point of this, which is that it's for the veteran's self-worth yeah. and feeling of independence that they can do this. Right. Maybe they can live at home, you know, mm-hmm. without a nurse feeding them whenever yeah. they want to eat or something, you know. And mm-hmm. maybe instead of just denying it, you could say, hmm, how could we make this smaller or more applicable to hospitals instead of just saying this won't work? People are so annoying. Yeah. Well, yeah. so Bessie did go back to the drawing board yeah. and she, you know, spent those four years and $3,000 um, and redesigned the machine to be much more compact. Um, she created this like neck frame for injured patients that holds a cup or bowl close to their face as a portable receptacle support. Um, so it wasn't quite as useful as her previous model that actually like gave you bites of food when you wanted it. Um, but it was more compact and it still allowed individuals to feed themselves unassisted. Oh, okay, good. So she like came up with a solution basically for what the hospitals were saying was like the problem with it. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, Uh um, (laughs) so even though she spent a lot of time and money making this more compact. Yeah. In nineteen uh, and and in nineteen fifty one, she did receive a patent for this invention. Good. However, despite this patent and despite the fact that it was more compact and um, like more user friendly, the VA still declined to use her invention. Weird. They just were like not about it for whatever reason. Okay. Well. So. Um, at this time, Bessie was a follower, follower of Father Divine, oh. who was the founder of the International Peace Mission Movement. Oh. And this was a religious movement that people think was probably a cult. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> um, so, like, I don't want to get too much into if or if not this group was a cult but some some things about this international peace mission movement and father divine father divine claimed to be god which is always a red flag yes. um he yeah, believed usually. the sexes should not mingle oh like, that there were separate places in heaven for men and women like they should never mingle like they at no point in life or after life should they mingle oh, if um, only People could just go to a therapist, you know, like people who believe weird things. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, Believe he believed. Yeah. Believe the sexes shouldn't mingle prohibited drinking, smoking, obscenity, and the receiving of gifts. The last one's kind of weird. I went down a rabbit hole about father divine and his movement. And there's a lot of weird stuff and a lot of controversies. You know, some people argue that he was, like, an early member of the civil rights movement. Other people argue that, like, no, that's not true at all. There's a lot of other weird stuff. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) if you're interested in knowing more and you want to form your own opinions, you can go down the Father Divine rabbit hole. Yeah. Let me know what you think. I probably will. I don't want to get too derailed. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's interesting. I had not heard of this man. You know, potentially there were good things or people who came out of that group that he had conned. You know, it doesn't mean. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, So, yeah. So, it's a (laughs) a whole thing. But anyway, so she was a follower of Father Uh Divine. And Father Divine encouraged her to give away her invention (gasps) as a gift. Rather than seeking compensation for her invention. I mean, that's not like horrible but if she needs compensation to live that's another thing right yeah 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 so i mean regardless of whether that was a good choice or not that's why she then in 1951 signed over the rights of her invention to the french government who were interested in using it for uh military hospitals wow Okay. So some country used it. It just wasn't us. <laughs> Do you, I mean, it's hard to say like why we didn't use it if it was purely political, like a woman, a black woman made it, or if it's just they couldn't, for some reason, see the use of it, but someone else Yeah, could. or we like don't yeah. actually treat our veterans well, and right. didn't, they didn't want to invest in something that was... Cumbersome. I don't know. There could be a lot of reasons, but it wasn't clear from what I read. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope the French liked it. Yes, I hope the French did like it. Yes. I think they used it well. Um, So she said in a New York uh, newspaper that about the sale of her device she said that the sale of her device proved quote that a black woman can invent something for the benefit of humankind nice which is true i also think she should get compensated for it but that's fine um you know don't know the circumstances and maybe just nobody actually was willing to pay her (laughs) for it and so she won at least wanted she's like i spent all this time and money so that veterans and people and amputees could do this unassisted. So, like, even if you're not going to pay me, I want it right. to be used. So, yeah, noble. Um, that same year, she married Thomas Griffin. I found no other information about her husband. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so she married a man. I don't know literally anything about this man. Yeah, Thomas. Nothing. Which fine. Okay. Thomas, not important. No. She married Thomas. Yeah. Um, then in 1953, um, Bessie became the first African-American on WCAU Philadelphia's television show, The Big Idea. Um, she went on the show to try and interest the VA again in her various inventions. Um, so like, I think the, the big idea was like, you would talk about like an invention you have and like kind of promote it. Yeah. they kind of learned about like how you got that big idea. Um, so she went on to try to like advocate for this. And then the VA just, you know, again, had no interest. So <sighs> what the so hell? that's sad. Yeah. Okay. Bessie also also found this in one article or two articles, but they differed in some of the facts. So take this with a grain of salt. Okay. Okay. But apparently... Bessie was also a physical therapist to either Thomas Edison's son, Theodore Miller Edison, 
Yeah. Or to Thomas Edison's son's mother-in-law. Okay. But either way, Bessie and Theodore Edison, yeah. so Thomas Edison's son, became friends during this time. Cool. Um, and Bessie often confided in Theodore about her inventions. Um, in fact, apparently Edison's company actually produced two of her inventions, oh. though I couldn't find any details on what those were. So I'm worried he was stealing her inventions, but maybe they were genuine <laughs> friends. What if it was the light bulb? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the wrong, wrong time, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I, yeah. So really wasn't very infor- much information on that at all and it wasn't in a lot of the articles so That's i bring neat. it up but yeah you know grain of salt yeah put that's it there. fine that's cool yeah. maybe she just had a nice inventive friend and they bounced yeah. ideas off of each other and just had great convos about all their cool ideas you know Mm-hmm. yeah Okay, one thing that I do know for sure nice. <laughs> is that she also invented um, the Emesis Basin, oh. which was this like kidney-shaped disposable dish oh. that was made of flour, water, and newspaper, and then like and then baked till hard. Okay, so kind of like paper mache, but a little more sturdy. Yeah, and it was in this like this kidney-shaped bowl. Um, and the emesis basin was used in medical and surgical wards right. to contain soiled dressings, medical waste, vomit, or like other kind of liquid human things that then you could just get rid of the whole basin. Yeah, I think they still use those, right? But they're metal yeah. now and yep. maybe like washable. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So the cool. U.S. had, again, no interest in her invention. What? Why and so not? Bessie sold the rights to a company in Belgium where her design is still used in Belgian hospitals. Okay, so she sold it this time, yes. at least. Yep. Yes. Good. Um, in the mid-1970s, Bessie spoke at a conference in California. And according to one source, uh, Bessie was asked to demonstrate how she taught amputees to write with their feet. Yeah. And so she asked all the women in the audience to take off their pantyhose <laughs> um, so that I they could place it. a pen between their toes. And she also told all the men to close their eyes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, great. Yes. It's improper. And apparently this like resulted in just like pure chaos and laughter. <laughs> it sounds very ridiculous and fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should try to do that whenever you give a talk. <laughs> like ladies p- please take off your pantyhose and men close your eyes <laughs> <laughs> that's what uh, for my next for if i get a job if i get yeah, an interview and i do an in-person do job talk you have I will to definitely have it. to try to fit that in <laughs> maybe if it's for a place i don't actually want to work i don't think anybody wears pantyhose anymore no. but still <laughs> it would what be if, fun yeah yeah uh, okay, so by her account, she was once asked to donate her inventions to museums that celebrated the achievements of African Americans, but wow. she refused, annoyed by the the idea of her work being tied to her race. She oh. kind of makes sense that she would be annoyed by people trying to put her stuff in like an in African American invention museum. 
Right. She didn't. If you want me to put it in an invention museum, that's fine. But yeah, she was inventor first in her. Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, She also said in response to this idea, why should I donate things I made? She said, and they'll charge students to go see them. No, I'll take them to schools where the kids can hold them, touch them. I'll tell them you're a part of history. So, but she also did donate a lot of things. So, but maybe just not to museums. Yeah. It sounds like she just didn't want to be mm, commemorated in that particular way, which is totally fine. It's her choice, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're transitioning to career two. (laughs) I love it. Is this the forensics? Yes. Yes, cool. Very curious about this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in 1969, as all great women do, Bessie embarked on a new career. Yeah. This time working in forensic science research for police departments in New Jersey and Virginia. Wow, yes. How did she get here? Um, Well, while working in physical therapy, she noticed that there was a correlation between physical health and writing characteristics. Uh Uh-huh. And so also she noticed that as people were getting better, their writing was changing. Okay. So this led her to publish a technical paper um, on, quote, medical graphology which is the analysis of handwriting for behavioral profiling, but she kind of added in this like oh, medical component. Oh, for behavioral profile. Oh, yeah. interesting. I was like, yes. Is this, <laughs> I was like, where is this going? Is she going to like teach dead people to write with their feet? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Yes. Nice. Yes. So in this paper, she explored what's called like a trait stroke method, which states that each stroke of a pen or pencil corresponds to a personality trait. So Whoa. how you write every step of your letters yeah. correspo- tells you something about their personality. Um, so this paper caused her career in forensics to grow really quickly, and she toured around the South giving lectures about this topic. Wow. That's really cool. So... Was she the first handwriting analysis person? No, I think there were others like, um, so M.N. Bunker was the founder of the American Institute of Graphoanalysis. So there was already that idea yeah. in place. Okay. Um, but I think she was the first to kind of add this medical component on. Where yeah, you- okay. Where it's actually like, if we look at people as they're healing or dealing with a trauma, over time, we're seeing changes that correspond to their health. Wow, that's great. Okay. Um, And so M.N. Bunker, who is the founder of the American Institute of Graphoanalysis, he said of Bessie, he said, Bessie Blount is a remarkable woman. She's a vital speaker, one who has the enthusiasm and remarkable accomplishments to hold her audience. Well, that's because she, she just tells them to take off their pantyhose <laughs> and they get, they're very engaged. No, she's like, yeah, she okay. seems like a great speaker. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, she just has all these cool tricks up her sleeve every time she goes to give a speech. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. Um. Okay. 
So then in the late late 1960s, she began assisting police departments as a handwriting expert, examining evidence used in court cases. Specifically, she worked on cases involving embezzlement and forgery at the beginning. She began assisting police departments in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Vineland, New Jersey, etc. She then also joined the Portsmouth VA Police Department as a chief examiner at some point. Wow. And she was skilled in breaking down complex theories for the jury and helping them win cases. She oh. also loved surprising the jury and the courtroom <laughs> when they, um, when she, an older black woman, would be called to give expert testimony. Oh, uh, okay. I thought yeah. like <laughs> I was, I wasn't sure where that was going either. Like what she would just jump and be like surprise. <laughs> like, she <enjoyed laughs> well, I, apparently she them. would. Yeah. She did so. She like would like stay in the back until they called like. And now right. for our chief, you know, yeah. handwriting expert, and then she'd come out, and I people would that. be like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> um, according to her grandson Aaron Griffin, she almost kind of welcomed if you were underestimating her because that's mm-hmm. when she was going to get you. Got it. Yeah. I yeah. Get it. Yeah. Yep. Love that. So Bessie was passionate about this handwriting analysis, believing it signaled everything about a person, including their feelings, their mental health, and oh. their. F- even their physical ailments. Um, once Bessie took a look at her grandson, Nicholas's handwriting at age 12 and correctly diagnosed him with a weak eye vision in one eye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I would think your other eye could like correct for that, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, she I don't was know. just an expert, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to um, her grandson, quote, uh, she said it was all in your writing, that your writing showed you how you were physically as well as mentally. It's a bit of science, but it's a bit of a gift. And that's what she had as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know how accurate hand like forensic handwriting stuff is i know a lot of forensic stuff that we used to like take seriously we don't and so i don't know whether this fits into the section of like yeah this is this is um like we have confidence in handwriting yeah these days or if it's like blood spatter analysis where we don't have any confidence in it i mean Um, i think it's more in the i think we have some confidence but i'm not i don't know yeah i would think it's like in matching handwriting rather than say oh you're a psychopath because you're l slant to the right or something yes yeah but it seems like her stuff even went more like oh this person might have a medical issue of certain Mm -hmm. because of how they're which might be true for certain things yeah 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 if you just physically can't do some specific thing because in your writing i don't know i mean i i doubt it signals everything about a person but i'm sure it can tell you some things about a person under some circumstances yeah yeah exactly yeah um so in 1976 she turned in an application to the fbi to try to work there, um, oh. but was rejected directly by J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> oh, cool. So cool, yeah. Uh, however, 
Scotland Yard's forensic science lab invited Bessie to join them for advanced studies in graphology. Okay, there you go. Of course she accepted. Of course. And so Bessie was the first black woman admitted as a student um, at Scotland Yard, also known as the Metropolitan Police Department in London, England. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So on her return from Scotland Yard, uh, Bessie began her own consulting business. And according to the Smithsonian, Bessie, quote, offered her expertise in handwriting to museums and historians by reading, interpreting, and determining the authenticity of historical documents, including Native American treaties and papers related to the slave trade and the Civil War. Whoa. So, hot dance. Yeah, that's pretty... (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, and I don't know if this was like, um, if you have someone's handwriting and then you're trying to make sure that like that person wrote this treaty to make sure that that treaty is actually like yeah not forged or anything. I, I'm not quite sure exactly how she went about doing these types of things. Yeah. But it's very cool. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting way to kind of make sure or to establish a historical record or be like, yeah, this person wrote this, this person wrote Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. According to her grandsons, Bessie really never made much money with either of her careers. And she lived most of her life in a modest one-bedroom trailer stacked with papers and instruments. Whoa. She's a real Uh, eccentric, huh? Yes, yeah. (laughs) So she... She used a typewriter, refused to own a computer or a cell phone throughout her life. Wow. So she lived... Okay, yeah. She was born in 1914, so... Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, she continued to work and invent well into her 80s, wow. conceiving of new contraptions using materials she had available to her. That's awesome. And Bessie also didn't charge much for her labor or chose to work for free for a lot of these things, arguing that once you start charging a lot of so- a lot for something, you let other people own you. Okay. I guess. Which is a perspective. You could also, I don't also, know if I agree with it, but. You know, say, I don't know, this is what I'm worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I mean, I understand what she means. If someone's paying you, they could control you what you're doing yeah. in some sense which is not yeah. wrong um, mm-hmm. but yeah um, and she was fine living without many material comforts for example on a work trip to Montana she made friends with the local sheriff and was allowed yeah. to sleep in the jail cell rather than <laughs> uh, having to like buy a motel room <laughs> I guess I guess <laughs> so. that's preferable if you're just there for an, a bit you know <laughs> I, yeah, like it's cheaper I don't know I think it's funny that they wouldn't just be like, hey, why don't you stay in my friend's house or this motel for free? (laughs) Yeah. I got a free room in the jail. (laughs) That's so weird. Yeah. So in... I know. I know. She's a quirky (laughs) one. So in 2008, Bessie returned to Hickory, where she grew up, to build a museum and library on the ground of her primary school, which had burned down to the ground in 1932. So that school that the black community had had put together to try to to educate the children. Wow. Um, And at... 
93. She had no thoughts of dying. She said to the pilot, which is, a, I believe, a newspaper, she said, quote, I'm going to live just for spite because my work is not done. <laughs> just for spite. <laughs> just for spite. That's funny. Um I like the attitude. Yeah. Unfortunately, she died the following year before the Hickory Museum project was completed. But she had a extremely like active and interesting life with all of these different careers contributing to diverse fields such as uh, physical therapy and forensic science. Yeah. That is the story of Bessie Blount Griffin. I really like her, and I want to try to learn how to write with my feet now. You gotta. Even just my left hand. Yeah, it sounds useful to be ambidextrous. Yeah. I definitely, or writing with your teeth. That is a lot. Mm. Sounds kind of painful, but maybe you get used to it. Yeah, it seems like you'd get thirsty. I don't know. How do you pick it up? <laughs> guess you just bend over. Yeah. It's interesting. I like her. That's fun. I like people who just kind of have ideas and make them a reality, like almost as a compulsion. You know, they're Mm -hmm. just like, I got to do this and I got to do this. Yeah. No, she's she's awesome. (laughs) And I I like the theme of like how she ends, like, even though she has like these disparate fields, you can yeah. see that how she got from like point A to point B. Oh yeah, it's all st- it's all kind of related, and it all goes mm-hmm. back to this weird childhood. <laughs> it's all like writing related, you know. In a maybe sense. maybe it's good. It's a good thing to um, have physical punishment in schools. <laughs> no. It leads to <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. Um, but yeah. no, it does seem like it's an interesting thing from this like incident as a kid. Yeah. I mean, think of all the people though that, you know, were also forced to do that that didn't do <laughs> anything that she did and were just traumatized. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, no. I do, yeah. I don't I do not support any I know. physical anything. No, no nothing physical. Yeah. I want us to be all amorphous blobs. <laughs> right right yeah yes yeah that's my story that's fun i love it all right and this is our women who work section where we give a shout out i'm like what is it again (laughs) where we give a shout out to badass ladies making history today And so this week, my shout out goes to PhD candidate Sarah Riding of Deakin University, which is in Australia. Awesome. um, Who she led a review paper that was published in Trends and Ecology and Evolution this month. And in it, she and her research team describe how some animals, birds specifically, may be morphologically changing, or as they call it, shape-shifting, in response Ooh. to a warming climate. Shape-shifting. Yeah. Like so um, to study this, they, you know, as because it's a review paper, they compiled data, you know, they found studies that were essentially researching changes in specific bird species appendages 
over time and just measuring them and seeing what differences there were. And they just compiled a bunch of data from a lot of studies that did this um, and found that across studies and, you know, bird phylogenetic groups, that birds are shifting their morphologies to have proportionately larger appendages in response to climate change and its associated temperature increases. And so um, appendages like beaks, legs, etc. in birds help with thermoregulation. And so the big, like the bigger the beak, for instance, the better the ability of an individual bird to dissipate heat. You know what they say about big beaks? What? Better able to dissipate heat. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what they said. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So, you know, you would think that in a warming climate, a bigger beak would be selected for if it does help a bird, say, thermoregulate and live mm-hmm. longer and reproduce, right? Yeah. Um, so it is, it's sort of just like a simple but interesting hypothesis that their review came up with, which is just that appendages in birds are getting bigger in response to climate change basically it seems like i was like oh what's the catch and i'm like oh it's actually just this simple really cool review study that found this interesting correlation that now can be tested you know yeah that's awesome i love when things end up being kind of i mean i think everybody loves when there's simplicity yeah right things are often so messy that when you find something that's relatively simple and straightforward yeah you gotta cling on to it um you know of course they explain that their study that this needs you know experimental studies to show causality or provide evidence of causality and across different taxa outside of birds things could be totally different And of course, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other studies that are investigating how climate change is impacting the evolution of animals and other organisms, many of which are just plain going extinct. But it is interesting to see how how animals are evolving in other ways to adapt to these changing climates. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be cool to see what happens I don't know. It's just like another way climate change is influencing nature, right? <laughs> just going to have all these weird lanky birds. Yeah, exactly. Lanky, big-beaked <laughs> birds. Which, hey, that's like me. I have a lanky, big-beaked <laughs> bird. <laughs> so I'm like perfect for climate change. <laughs> yeah, you're adapted. Well yeah. adapted. <laughs> so that's my shout out for the week to Sarah Writing. And her team. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I um, I know there's a lot of, like, you know, pandemic, This it was a good time to try to do a meta-analysis or yeah. review. A lot of us tried. A lot of us failed. <laughs> I'm proud of people who actually got it done. Yeah. I mean. Especially being able to find something really cool like this. Every time I would think of an idea for a review, I'd like look it up and be like oh somebody already did this (laughs) 
Oh, anyway, yeah. It I'm is. like halfway through a review that I think we're, it's just never, I, you never know. We haven't worked on it in like six months. Oh my so. gosh. That's fun. <laughs> that's fun. But that's okay. Well, that was awesome. Uh, I'm so, I'm so happy to be back. I am yeah. ready to hear about more awesome ladies and tell you guys more awesome stories about these ladies. Yeah. Um, that's gonna be a good fall. It really will. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's <laughs> tell hope. myself. Let's look it up. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And if we think it that is. way, it will be that way, you know? Yes. So <laughs> So thank you everybody for tuning in and coming back to us after mm-hmm. our hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um thank you to Artichoke for our awesome theme music and Caitlin Friesen for our awesome um art. And as always, once again, go, go stimulate yourself. yourself. Bye. Bye. Bye.